Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, of thy Greetings this Lord's Day, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, the name above all names. Greetings. God will have all His holy will. Amen? Amen? Yes. You know, Samson was declared by God before his birth that he would be used as a judge and a deliverer over Israel, was he not? Now, if you read the story of Samson, he is an ungodly, spoiled selfish individual. He's certainly not anyone we would want to emulate. Uh, We would not want our children to want to be like Samson, right? He dishonored his parents by giving them honey from a carcass of a dead lion. He wanted to marry a Philistine instead of a Jewish girl. And he went again and again to the house of Delilah to the point of even betraying his own secret of his strength given to him from God. He was a pretty bad character, right? Now, even though he did all of these things, despite his lack of care for the things of God, God would have his holy will anyway. Despite the fact that uh, every good thing he did for the kingdom was out of anger and jealousy and spite of his own heart, still God would have his holy will. No man can stand against God. David prophesied of a day when the rulers of the world would get together and have a council against God. I mean, can, can you... The absurdity of it all. We're going to, get, we're going to have a meeting and we're going, to, we're going to do something about God. That's what we're going to do. I mean, could you imagine that? But what happens? Right? They could not. They cannot. And they will not. Sport God by any meeting that they have. Right? Psalm 2 says this day, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? What, what vain thing are they imagining? They're imagining they can, you know, build a tower like Nimrod. Let's, we'll build this tower and we're going to reach up and we're going to pull God down. I mean, this is silliness, but it's in the heart of man. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers to take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. What's the Bible say about this? Do you think God's worried? Do you think he's, oh no, what should I do about this? It says, he that sits in the heavens shall do what? Laugh. Because it's absurd. The Lord shall put them in derision like he did at the, pow- the Tower of Babel. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. 
Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree, saith the Lord. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron and shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. Let us pray. Lord, some trust in horses and others in chariots, but we will trust in you. Lord, help us when we are so foolish as to think that we can affect you, that we can bend your will, that we can stop what you have already set in motion. Lord, as the angel said in Revelation You are he who opens the doors that no man can shut. Lord, we are not afraid of men, but we do indeed fear you. Let us be people who fear you, who long to hear your word and be changed by it, who hunger and thirst after righteousness like starving men. Lord, change us today that we might be like you. Feed us from heaven. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. for just a few more moments as we read, as I read my text from John 11, my sermon, I think maybe the title is a little, uh, a little off, um, but it is part, one of the points in the message. It's called false, but still a prophet. Um, from John chapter 11, verses 45 through 54. <clears throat> John eleven forty five says this, says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we do? For this man doth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation should perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation. And not only for that nation, but also that he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. And then from that day forth, they took counsel together to put Jesus to death. Jesus walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence unto a country near to the wilderness in a city called Ephraim. And there he continued with his disciples. Let us pray. Lord, we love you and we love going through your word. As we go through and we try hard to glean everything from your life as we are in this series, I 
love the fact that we are forced to look at difficult passages to try to understand them because in them there is great treasure for us. I pray today as we dig into this treasure of your word today that we would come out richer than we were before we came. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There is a great deal to look at in this story told to us by John here in chapter 11 of his gospel. And uh, we're going to talk about several things, okay? We're going to talk about the depravity of man. Everybody say, depravity of man. man. Everybody know what that means? That means man is ruined, spoiled, affected completely. Not partially, not somewhat, but he is depraved without God. We're going to talk about the deceitfulness of our hearts and of hypocrisy. Do you guys like hypocrites? Anybody like hypocrites? Uh, We're all hypocrites in this room at one time or another. Uh, We look at others and we can't believe what they do while we are doing something a little different that we, we seem to put in a better light, you know? We're going to talk about the power of God. We're going to talk about the way of the flesh that not only sins, but tries to help us find a good reason to sin. And in fact, when sins actually feels pretty good about it. That's the flesh. That's what it does. We're going to talk about this. Do you guys remember the way of the flesh is not only to sin, it says, but, and this is our little catechism that we did. If you're looking for a righteous reason to sin, think again. And that's what we did. We find a good reason to sin. All right. This may not make much sense uh, without a few examples, but... It will apply so much in our everyday lives that it is important uh, to remember and to understand. Okay? Now, remember Lot. We just read about Lot. Now, if you're like me, I'm just imagining my children listening to this reading in, in, in Genesis and I'm just kind of like uneasy about it. Is anybody kind of uneasy about like... I, my kids just heard a story about two daughters that did something really bad. Did... did how many was un- I was uncomfortable about the whole thing, but yet it's right here in the scripture, right? And we're reading it now. What's it there for? Is it just to talk bad about these people? I mean, could you imagine, Andy, if you know God wrote your sins down and remember this day, you know? And it was in like for thousands of years, people are reading about the bad thing Andy did. I mean, is that what it's for? Is that why God put it in there so they could really, really be sorry for what they did, or is there something to be learned from the story? There's definitely something to be learned from the story. The story hammers on our human nature that inserts itself into our walk with God. And it appeals to us in a very, very crafty way. You know, when you think you're doing something for a really good reason, for for the greater good. You know how people talk, we're going to do this for the greater good. You guys ever heard anyone say that? For the greater good, right? What's really important? What do you want? Do you think in the time of uh, Lot and his daughters that it was important that, that you carry on the family name? How many know that this was very important? These, these, even though they were uh, raised in a horrible environment in Sodom, terrible, it was so bad that the name of the town even means something horrible in our society today, thousands of years later. Isn't that incredible that it still resonates in our community now, in our world now? So bad, but he raised them there. And uh, Hebrews 11 calls Lot righteous. And so he must be in some way righteous. I don't know. So 
He must have been teaching something to his children. And one of the things he was teaching them, that their family name is important. That we need to pass on our family name. That we need not to, you know, when, when women wanted to have babies. What do you, do, how many of you want your daughters to grow up and have children? I do. I do. How many want them to be mothers? They want them to be married. I do. I do. I look at these lovely girls. I was looking at Corinne, and the light was streaming in on Corinne, and, and she's playing the piano. And I'm looking at, you know, I'm thinking, you know, if I was a young man and I saw a girl who could play the piano beautifully, and she was so elegant, I would be like, man, we should marry. I would like to marry that girl, you know. And I think, I think, man, I want Corinne to be married, and I want Abby to be married. I want my daughters to be married. I want these, I, you know, where are the guys that are going to marry these girls? This is what goes in my mind, you know. Does this not go in? Do you guys ever think of this stuff? Like, here are these, these jewels, these, these pearls of, of great price, you know, are, are being crafted. And they're like, they're like hidden here in this, you know, in this little cave, you know, and nobody knows about them. But if they knew, they would come from all over the land to come to get these precious things. And you might think, what? We're raising them to, to, to love to be mothers, to, to, to love to be a wife, to love these things. And these girls were probably a little bit like that. They wanted to have a family. They wanted to have babies and they wanted to have children. But they're living in a cave. And they can't really see. I mean, you think it's bad going to Foundation Church. Imagine if you lived in a cave on a mountain near Zor and all the other towns were completely obliterated in fire and brimstone. There literally were no guys. Okay, Now you might go, well, that doesn't excuse what they do. Okay, you might not do that. You, you, you might think it's completely unthinkable that anybody would do such a thing. But why were they doing it? Were they doing it because they were bad girls who wanted to do nasty things? Were they nasty? Were, did they like think their dad, you know, did they want to marry their dad? No, their dad was an old man. They didn't want to marry their dad. They wanted to marry men. They, I mean, and I know this is uncomfortable to talk about, but it's in the Bible for a reason. They came up with a righteous reason to sin. Do you follow this? There's a good thing. This can happen to you. You know, uh, Derek, he, he wants his daughter to be married so much that she meets some heathen out there. And he's really nice. We think, well, she may never get married. There may never be a guy come along. I really like this guy. Well, I know he's not a Christian, but maybe we can bring him to church. And it's what happens. You, you're wanting her to be married. You're wanting her to have children. You're wanting her to raise a godly family. So much so that you do what? You break God's law and you sin against God so you can get the good thing that you want. Now, this is what we do. You might go, people don't do this. Yes, they do. They do it all day long. You do it. We all do it. And this is what this story about Jesus and Caiaphas and these things, this is what this is all about. You see, we, we, when I was reading this story, I did not understand. They really believed the best thing to do for their nation was to kill Jesus. That's what this story is about. The firstborn said to the younger, Our father's old. There's not a man on the earth to come into us after the manner of men. We, may, we want to preserve our family. We want to save our family. All the righteous reasons in the world, though, never should justify doing something wrong. Amen? Amen. But it's what we do. And we've got to guard against this. We, we will look at the future of what might happen to us and we'll say, this is what's going to happen. This is what we do. We're, we're, we are like this, Luke. We go, if we don't do this, then this terrible thing is going to happen to us. 
You know, I've had people say, well, if I don't do this, then this is going to happen. And you know what I always look at them and say, Derek? I say, you're a false prophet. You have no idea what is going to happen in your future, but you do know God's word says you can't do that. And they, get, they don't like this because it gives them no wiggle room. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but if I don't do this, then this bad thing's going to happen. I told a man one time he needed to do something in his home. He's like, if I do this, my wife will leave me and then we won't have a family anymore. But what, but what I'm telling him to do is right and righteous and godly, but he won't do it. So he chooses the ungodly route because he wants the good result. This, this happens to us, I'm telling you. This is what they did. Now, you guys know the scripture, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of. You know, we're tempted to think when we hear a scripture like that. You know what we think, Steve? That's right. These people out in the world, they think evolution's right, but they're wrong. Yeah, right. They're dumb, they're wrong, and they're going to die, and they're going to go to hell. And we think thoughts like that. But do you know there's a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end there are ways of death that applies to you and to me? You see, the wrong that we do, we see as right. So why did you hit your sister? She hit me. Now does the Bible say, if your sister hits you, hit her? No, it does not say that. But what, what is, come on kids, what do you do? You come to your mom and, why would you do it? Well, he took my Lego. <laughs> well, that was, I had built the sandcastle and I'd worked on it for hours and he went, he kicked it with his foot. And then I always have to say to my kids, I'm like, Annie, did I say you can kick your brother in the head if... He kicks your sandcastle over. They're like, no. I'm like, so why are you coming to me and telling me the right reason you had for doing the terrible thing that you did? Like, I don't understand. But you don't understand, Dad. You know, there's only one more week till presbytery. You know, it's like, like, what, what does this even mean? You know? We try to, we grab something in the future. We grab something that in the past. And what do we do? We, we like... We justify what we're doing right now based on that. And the thing that we're doing is wrong, right? If you're looking for a righteous reason to sin, everybody say it again. Think again. again. And you might, oh, I never do this. You do it all the time. I do it. We do it. We're tempted to do this. You see, it is true that that those people out there are wrong. But, you know, that's not how God calls us to look at the Word. We don't look at God's Word and go, you know, that's right. That's how the people who live next to the church, they need to repent. I mean, really? That's what we want to do when we look at the Bible. But the Bible doesn't say, read God's Word and put a mirror on people. You know, put a magnifying glass on those people over there and see how they're doing wrong. But we do that too, don't we? Instead of turning it the mirror on ourselves and saying, what are we doing wrong? We turn it on them. That's what we do. When we sin, that's what we always do. We like to justify it. We, but, but dad, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. But mom. Right? He calls us to look at ourselves with the word of God. It needs to be our mirror, not our magnifying glass to look at others. Now, here's a brief outline of our text. This is kind of like, uh, this will be, 
this will be, you know, 401 skill level trying to deliver all this here in just a few minutes, but I'm going to try it. The brief outline of our text is this, so don't get lost, okay? Those who did not accept Jesus and his teachings, okay, they go to the high priest to incite them to violence because they're, they're pretty tricky guys. They're like, hey, I know the right thing to say at the right time to get these people really mad. And they accomplish it. They call a meeting where Caiaphas, the high priest, tells them that the best course of action, the most righteous way to proceed is to kill Jesus, who he knows is an innocent man. Now, they knew he was innocent, but killing the innocent man, it was really the best way that they could keep what they had already established with the Romans intact, because that was important. I mean, it could destroy everything we have, right? It could wreck our whole church if we do this thing. This right thing that God says, but, you know, doing it could really wreck our whole church. So what do we do? Let's do the wrong thing. That's what, that's what he said. That's what he's saying. John tells us that unwittingly, though, his suggestion that killing the innocent Jesus would save the nation was, in fact, what was going to save the nation, right? So he was the high priest and his, you know, rationale to do wrong literally ended up being the right thing to do. Now, it wasn't the right thing for him to do, but it was the right thing to do. Jesus had to die to save the nation. His prophecy, this is where the message title comes from. He's false. Caiaphas is false, but he's still a prophet. See, God puts people in positions and he uses them in this position regardless of where their heart is. And we'll see that too. This effectively ends Christ's public ministry of healing and teaching among the Jews. So let's get into the story and see how God makes these points clear to us and see what we can learn from them on what we should do in our lives, okay? John 11, 45 starts off with the word then. Everybody say then. So do you guys remember where we were when I was here last time we were talking about who was risen from the dead? Right, Lazarus. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead after four days in the tomb. Now, this is by far the most startling miracle jesus has done okay he has of course healed sickness he's multiplied loaves and fishes he's walked on the water he's cast out demons he's even healed people who had just died or were dying right but now he goes to a place of people that he knows where there were a ton of witnesses who saw the man die, who buried the man, and he's been in the tomb for four days and he's stinking with decay. Now, guys, you know, I have a lot of faith, but we're we're talking seriousness here. I mean, they watched the stone get rolled away. They watched a man come out wrapped like a mummy, smelling of decay. This was a miracle that eclipsed all the miracles that Jesus did. And everybody knew it. And so this was, this was very serious. Because it wasn't like they could deny it. Like, oh, he had a, you know, uh, he had a tumor. But, you know, he had a, he had a, he was, he, he had a, a cancer. He had a, a sickness and no one knew it. No, no. The man died. He's in the ground. There's a stone rolled over. He's mummified. Now, the good news in verse 45, many of the Jews who had been there, They believed on him. So this was good, but now the bad news. But some of them, everybody say, but some of them went their way to the Pharisees. So some believed, but others went to the Pharisees, right? 
It's kind of like our kids, right? You know, some are, some are doing good. The other ones are coming to tell. They're coming to tattle. Do you know what Jesus just did? You know, there's a difference in talking about the goodness of Jesus and then, you, you know, they're saying the same thing. Some are going, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It's amazing. It's wonderful. But then there's another way of going, Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. We got to do something about this. I mean, do you see how you're spreading the good, the, the good news both ways? But one of them is meant to do what? One of them is meant to get someone to do something. Someone's got to do something about this. And the other one is meant to celebrate the goodness of God. So here we have the spreading of the same information. One is meant for evil and one is meant for good. Those who had witnessed the incredible miracle, though, that went to the Pharisees, they didn't believe. They believed the miracle, but they didn't become believers in Christ. They should give us an incredible glimpse into the darkened heart of a depraved man. Can you imagine seeing someone risen from the dead after four days and still not believing? That'd be pretty, that's pretty harsh. They saw all these and many other miracles. They were witnesses of his righteous life. They heard the wisdom from heaven come from his lips and yet they still would not believe. What did we just read about in Romans? What has God had sent? A, what? He sent a slumber upon them that they, they had ears that couldn't hear and eyes that couldn't see. This was proof of this. God was doing these incredible miracles right in front of them, but they would not believe. They were so deeply set in their self-sufficiency, in their own beliefs, that, that they were right and nothing could shake them from their faith that they had in themselves. You know, my prayer today is that God would save us from ourselves when we find ourselves in the same place when we care more about being right than when something so startling is right in front of our face that we can't deny the truth of it give us new hearts god give us faith that we might see and believe so so what did they do they called a meeting and i'll throw this in here just for fun a lot of bad things happen when people call meetings and try to decide something in a big room full of people a lot of bad things you, the, the one person can get up and turn the whole room to their way, even if their way makes no sense at all. A meet, governing by meetings is, is, is dangerous. That's why we don't do that. Uh, we're not congregationalists. God calls men to lead the church through representatives, not by mob rule. You know, that's, people get scared and, and people run, you know, and also the whole crowd's running, you know, there's a run on the bank, you know, that kind of a thing. When God calls a man to represent the church... He supernaturally gives him the ability to lead it. And this is, this is God's way. We'll get into that a little bit later. Now, these hard-hearted believers knew how to incite a panic, how to throw gasoline on the fire of fear of the Pharisees. Now, don't underestimate what can happen when you give the right information to the wrong people. Okay, now I'm going to throw in a little history here. We've just been in Austria. Okay, do you guys know how World War I started? which then caused World War II to start. Do you guys know how this happened? It happened when a bunch of 20, some 19 and 21-year-old revolutionaries were in a bar, and they're all sitting there, and they get together every night and they talk about how they hate these oppressive Austrians. And they'd do anything they could to deal with these. And they'd sit around and they'd talk about it and talk about it and drink beer, right? Now, if you knew such a place existed, and you knew... How to, and you knew something that they wanted, and you gave them the right piece of paper with the right words on it. Do you think you could change the world? 
I can tell you right now, you can. This guy walks into this bar where these people are gathered drinking beer who hate the Austrians and they give them the parade route of the Arch Duke Francis Ferdinand's parade route. That's all, they, you know, he didn't, they didn't have to sell anything, Steve. This is where he's going to be. It's right here. It's published. Ah, and, you know, and they go out and they, and it's a long story, but they kill. They kill him and that starts, that's what starts World War I. And then millions and millions of people die because the wrong, the right information got to the wrong people at the right time. And that's what these guys are doing. They're the cunning. Look, look what, look what he did. And as we say, the rest is history, right? Here these witnesses did what they could to strike fear in the hearts of the Jewish leaders, detailing the latest fantastic miracle, no doubt describing every detail down to the unwrapping of the mummy from the tomb, from the stinking of the decay. A miracle this incredible would certainly spark the flames of faith in Israel. This information would spurn the Pharisees into action against Jesus. It would ultimately be the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. And now that's, he's done this. He must be stopped. Before it's too late. Verse 47. They gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees in a council. And they said, what do we do? For this man does many miracles. And if we let him alone, all men will believe in him. Now, what were they? They weren't denying that his, they didn't say his miracles were fake. And they didn't say he's a fraud. And they didn't ha- have an accusation against him. But they knew what was going to happen. If people believe in him, we're in serious trouble. Something has got to be done, and it's got to be done now. You know, Andy remembers in Amway and in sales, you have to create a sense of urgency. You can't just say something in general. You have to say, four hours left to participate in this great deal. And if you don't participate, there's only five, you know, only five spots are left, you know. They do this on, you know, when you're booking, you know, only five rooms are left at this hotel. Maybe three by the time you're done, but maybe you'll miss it. Hurry, push Something's got to be done. Something's got to be done right now. What are we going to do? Jesus is doing lots of miracles. If we don't do something quick, everyone will believe in him. If they could, if they could have only heard their own words, but they were so blind and so deaf and dumb and dark in their minds that, well, so what if everybody believes in Jesus? Well, so what? They are going to lose everything that they've been building for a long time because... They're on the wrong side of the situation. Their main concern was not that they had a wonderful miracle worker who had done wonderful things. They were more concerned about their own positions, their own power, their setup. You'll see this. They act like they care for the people in their nation, but at the very heart of what they do, it's self-preservation. Folks, they say the strongest instinct that anybody has is not for food. It is not for this. It's not for that. It's one thing. You know what it is? It's self-preservation. And when people can convince you that you're in danger or that your family's in danger or that something's got to be done, what do you do? You, you do something about it. I remember selling water purifiers and, and we did this horrible thing where we would put this stuff in the water and it would turn, you know, like now all the invisible sediments that can kill your family will become visible over the next little while. And I'd set it in this jar and the whole time I'm doing the sales presentation, more crud starts appearing, you know, and the, and the, and the husband of the family, he's looking over at this jar the whole time and, 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 and you get to a certain point in the sales thing and I've ignored it. I act like it's not even over there, but the guy's over there sweating and he's like, man, if I love my family, if I got to save my family's life, I got to buy this water. I don't have any money, but I got to buy this thing right now. And then you go, would you want your family to drink this? And of course there's nothing. 
nothing. And this one, this one's totally pure, you know. And this one, or this. And you're like, you know. I had a guy like want to punch me in the face after that. What do you think? I don't love my family. You know. And here we are. Here they are. They see their future has been cut off. Their positions, their job, their thing that they built. They're going to lose it all. And it's what we do oftentimes. And, and I've seen this. I was telling the guys up here. I've seen this in horrible cases where uh, a wife knows her husband's an embezzler. But she can't say anything. Because if so, he's going to lose his job. And if he loses his job, we're going to lose our house. If we lose our house, he's going to blah, 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 blah. Oh, I can't let it all happen. I can't let that happen. Because I'm going to lose everything I've got. Well, lady, you don't have anything. You know? A, a woman knows that her child's being molested by her husband and she says, Oh, but if, I, if they find out about this, then this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. I can't tell anyone. And so what do they do? They allow something horrible to happen in their home and in their lives. Why? Because they're going to, they, they've got to save this thing they think they have. Folks, you don't have anything. When you are violating God's law, when you are sinning against God, when you are doing wrong, you don't continue to do that so that you can then have a good life with God. If your pastor's living in some, you know, you see me, you know, out here doing some horrible, terrible, ungodly thing. You know, yeah, but if anyone finds out about it, I mean, that'll wreck our whole church. And, and we love our church and we love our picnics and we love our life. We can't do anything about it. Folks, that's when, you, that's when you're, you're, you're not thinking straight. Verse 49. And you know what's going to happen? The Romans will come and they will take away our place and they're going to take away our nation. So they, they see he can raise people from the dead. They see he has miracles. They know that he's innocent. But what are they worried about? They're worried about, everybody say, they're worried about the Romans. They're worried about their city. They're worried about their temple. They're worried about the, their governmental structure. They're worried about their meetings. Right? It's hard to say what they mean exactly here, but none of this bodes well for them. If they mean their political position, everybody say it's bad. bad. Uh, if they mean their temple or their holy city, Jerusalem, everybody say it's bad. bad. You see, God wouldn't say, violate my law explicitly to save Jerusalem. Would he, would he say that? No. You don't... God doesn't say sin that good things may abound. That's why Paul, you know, Paul's like, hey, we're sin abounded, grace abounded. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Everybody say, God forbid. But I'm telling you, guys, this is, this, is, this is how the devil is so tricky and our flesh is so wily. And it wants what it wants. It wants comfort. It wants ease. It wants to preserve the status quo. But doing what's right and righteous will mess that up for you. They had come close to worshiping their city and their synagogue. They had more fear of the Romans than they had of God. And oftentimes we have more fear, you know. I remember when God was dealing with me that I'd been wrong about the scriptures. And I came to this church and I said, hey, you can all leave if you want. But I have become reformed and I'm baptizing my children and you can fire me and you can... What, I, I can't, I can't teach this other stuff anymore. I knew what that might cost, and it, it, it turned out good, and it was nice. But I'm telling you, you can't, you, you, you can't look at what's going to happen 
or what you think is going to happen and make a decision on what you ought to do right now. We, we make a decision on what to do right now based on what God's word teaches us. Amen? Remember, Jesus was not guilty, nor were they claiming that he was. They're not claiming he had done anything worthy of death. They were worried about what they thought would happen to them if people believed on him. I know people, oh, you know, if I, if I believe, if I come to that church, my family will cut me out. They'll, 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 they'll disinherit me. They'll not talk to me anymore. I won't be welcome at family reunions anymore. Maybe. The Bible is plain that we should not marry unbelievers. I talked about this before and I went through this. Our children should not be yoked together, right? Is this plain? You know, growing up in the church, they would say, well, there weren't any guys, so let, let's do this missionary dating. Let's go, we'll, we'll, we'll find some guys and we'll marry those guys out in the world and we'll bring them into the church. And How do you think that worked out? Do you know, it actually did work out in a couple people's lives. So then other people thought, hey, they did it and it worked out. We should try it too. How do you think that worked out as a plan? You might find ourselves having our child. You know you can't let your daughter do this, but you go, you know what? If I don't let her do this, she's going to leave. She's going to leave. She's going she's gonna to run away. She says, if, if we don't let her like this boy who she's met somewhere, then she's going to leave the church. And you know what? We don't want her to leave the church. This is, mo- this is how the modern church has found itself in the position it's in. Uh, a couple comes to the church and they're living together and they're living in sin and the people go, well, we don't want to scare them off and we don't want them to leave because we know if we confront them with what they need to do and how they need to repent, we know what they're going to do, right? We know they're, not, well, they're going to be offended, they're going to be hurt, they're not going to come back. And what's more important? For them to stay. Because if they stay, then they'll serve the Lord. Do you see how we do this? We equivocate in our mind the futures that we don't know and we do the wrong that's right in front of us. This is what this scripture is about. She loves him. If we don't let her do this, we'll lose her. She'll leave the church. We'll never see her again. We'll never have a relationship with her and our grandchildren. Oh, but we want that. We want a relationship with our grandchildren so much that we have to let her do this. Our day's coming. We all have a bunch of little kids right now, but our day is coming where we will face these kinds of decisions. What do we do? Do we do what's right, Steve, or do do we do what's wrong because we're too afraid to do what's right? I hope you're following me. When we love it, we love it when we whack the modern church, but we don't like it when we get whacked. And right now we're getting whacked. Right? Here's what Calvin says. Would you guys be better, rather be whacked by Calvin? He's way smarter than me. He's got statues, okay? In like several different countries. You know, there are statues with him. He's got books. You know, I talk about writing books. Maybe never will ever write one, okay? But John, Johnny Boy here, he's done it. He says, the evangelist means that the chief object of their consultation was to guard against imminent danger. The imminent danger of the Romans. They say, they knew... Uh, knew that any innovation was made in public matters, there is reason to fear that they would send an army to ruin the nation together with the temple and the worship of God. Now, it is wicked to consult about guarding against dangers which we cannot avoid. 
I mean, can you avoid it? If, if she's going to leave the church, she's going to leave the church. If she doesn't get married, she doesn't get married. We, we, we foretell the future, Calvin says, but we're wrong about it. Our first inquiry should always be, what does God command and choose us to do? By this, we ought to abide whatever may be the consequences to ourselves. You know what I was taught character was, Andy? There's a definition. It says, doing right if the stars fall and nobody's watching. That's what character is. Doing what's right. And when you look at the word of God, you will find that the heroes of our faith are guys who knew that what they were going to do was going to get them killed going to get them cast out, was going to cause them problems, but they did it anyway because God's word required for them to do it. Calvin says, those men on the other hand, they resolve that Christ shall be removed from the midst of them, that no inconvenience may arise by allowing him to proceed. But what if he has been sent by God, Calvin says, shall they banish the prophet of God from among them to purchase peace from the Romans? See how this is insane? And he later, and maybe I'll find it, maybe I'll get to it, or maybe I won't. He goes, it's like someone arguing, you know, in order to to not have our body destroyed, we're only going to let them pierce us with a knife through the heart. We're only going to let them just cut our throat. Would that save the body? Absolutely not. Verse 49, one of them named Caiaphas being the high priest that same year. And this is a little throw in here. According to the law, the office of high priest there was an office to be held for your whole life. But at this time, they become so perverted and so political that they would, they would buy the position for a year at a time. So John throws this in here. He was high priest that year. This is, this is like, this shows the depravity of where they had become, had they, they had come to. So Caiaphas, the high priest, he said, he stands up, he says, you people, you know nothing at all. Nor, you, nor do you consider that the right and proper thing for us to do is to kill this one man that our whole nation perish not. This is, the, this is the best course of action. Now, is it the best course of action? No, it is not the best course. You know, would any of you pick an innocent man out there and just go kill him? Could, could anyone find any reason to ever do that? No, you, there's no reason. But, 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 but we could all... All of us will we'll all die if he doesn't die. So we should kill him. This is what we call situational ethics. When we grew up in school, they would try to get us to, to participate in these little, these little games. Well, what if? If, the, if? if we have to kill him, because if we don't kill him, then we're all going to die. If God's word says you can't kill him, guess what, guys? Then we're just all going to die if that's the way it's going to be. But you can't kill innocent people. Caiaphas has come up with a logical, rational reason for the killing of an innocent man. Better one innocent man die, he says, than that a whole nation. We can be saved and, and, and we'll get to live and be at peace like we are right now. That's what the people of God do. We don't fear the consequences that we imagine. We fear God. And we decide to see the future by faith. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't walk by sight, but by faith. So what if we see our imminent destruction, the loss of those things that make us comfortable and secure? This is not our concern. We're to hold on very loosely to the things that we hold on to with all of our might. We should hold on to the solid rock of God's word no matter what. The world is not our home. And this is hard 
and I know I've been preaching for a little while here, but we've, we've got to be reminded of this. Preserving the Robinette family is not what I have been done, been given a life on this earth for and life in Christ. I love my family. But if it is the first thing, then I'm in trouble. Preserving my marriage to my wife is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. Till death do I part. I'm not leaving this woman. But preserving our marriage, she, she says, well, if you, don't, if you don't do this thing and it's a wrong thing, I can't do it. She can leave me. She can take the children. She can go to court. She can do whatever she wants to do. God has to be first. And I'm telling you, we are, we're a little messed up with this. This world's not our home. I may have a family. I may have a job, a post in this church. I may have a, a nation that I love dearly. Our life is a gift, too, that can be taken at any moment. You know, we're not even to love our lives, our own lives. Right? You know the scripture, and they love not their lives unto the, to the death. Folks, that's what makes the church powerful. That's how we stand on Christ the rock. We say, my marriage isn't more important. My position, my job, my money, my situation, this church. What's right is Christ. Oh, to save the church, I'm going to do this wrong thing. No. To save my marriage, I'm going to do this wrong thing. No. To save my relationship with my daughter and my son. No. Do what's right. We live for God and offering any of these things to him, like our life or family, is simply our duty and it should be our joy. To lose him is not an option. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. No one can pluck us out of his hands. He does not hide his face from us and turn his mercy away from us. His mercies are new for us every morning. But we live our lives thinking that these things and these people and these institutions around us are bigger and more important than God. And we can't lose those. Yes, we can. The kingdoms of this world will crumble. And even if those kingdoms are the Foise kingdom or foundation church, you know, if this church crumbles, so what? The church of Christ, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. And if it takes the destruction of this church or my family or me. Wow. Wouldn't that be great? No, we don't see it like that. I'll let Calvin do a little more work here. He says, Caiaphas holds out that there is but one way of purchasing their own safety. And that is to slay an innocent man. To what a pitch of wickedness do men proceed who destitute of the fear of God form their plans rather from judgment of their flesh than from the word of God. Who confidently believe that they will derive advantage from what is not permitted by the author of every blessing from heaven. For what Caiaphas meant thus to be expressed was this. They must provoke the wrath of God in order that they may be happy and prosperous. Calvin says, Wherefore, let us learn never to separate what is useful from what is lawful, since we ought not to expect any prosperity or success but from the blessing of God, which is promised not to wicked and rebellious, but those who ask assistance from the devil and those believers who sincerely walk in his ways. And yet there was some plausibility in his argument, for the public advantage ought always to have the preference, he said, but... As I have already said, a people is no better protected by the unjust death of an innocent man 
then the whole body of a man is protected when you only cut his throat or pierce his breast with a sword. And I'll end with this because I've been going on for a while. Verse 51 and 52. It says, Caiaphas spoke this, but he didn't realize that he was really being spoken through by the Holy Spirit. He was the high priest. He was God's man for the nation of Israel at that time. And when he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation, his prophecy was true. And John adds in verse 52, not only that nation, but that he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Caiaphas prophesied, remember, this man is the one who purchased his own position, who would be one of the main players who pressed the Romans to kill Jesus. He prophesied, but his words were true. Not only was he right that Jesus needed to die to save their nation, but that his death would gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. His words fulfilled in his lifetime on the day of Pentecost. This should remind us how God uses those he puts in positions of power regardless if we understand it. I stand in this pulpit every week and God speaks to you through me. Not because I'm righteous and good and smart and wise. Nope. But because he is. He's made me his voice in this church and this pulpit. When Andy gets up, God speaks through him. You ever feel it, Andy? He spe- you're speaking and you, you, you're here. It's like, I didn't plan to say that. People will come and they will say, this thing you said, and I never said it at all. They heard it, but I didn't say it. I'll end with this passage from Romans. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whosoever resists, the authorities resist what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment from God. For rulers that God gives are not given as a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would ye have no fear of the one who is in authority? To do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of your conscience. For because of this, you pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, Respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. That's what we learn from this story today. And from that day forth, Jesus ended his public ministry because of what these evil men did. And they started the ball rolling, which as we will get into this, ends up becoming the death of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, you know what we need, and oftentimes we are our false prophets. We look into our future, and we cannot find the courage to obey your word because of what we fear will come to pass if we do. Lord, let us be fearful of you and not of men or not of an uncertain future. Let us have the godly character, Lord. Let your spirit live through us that we may do right even if the stars fall.
In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.